0: that beautiful oh wait they're gonna sue me play it
1: hey all you crazy sci-fi fans time for your daily dose of insanity over here at the sci-fi shenanigans podcast just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions a place where the sky's the limit space is a place and nerds run the world and without
0: further ado all right, welcome back to another episode of the Sci-Fi Shenanigans podcast. Today we have as our special guest artist artist John Gibbons and our returning <laughs> returning guest Walt Robillard. I Aww. acknowledge nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay.
2: I must, get, I must get your last name right, Walt. <laughs>
3: Um, I have uh, made sure that that thing is a uh, a vague book extraordinaire so that I can get as many people as possible to murder the hell
0: out of it.
1: <laughs> well done, sir. Well yes. Done.
0: I see. I see your <laughs> evil plan and I will raise you a s'mores. <laughs> I was on
3: uh, the, the s'mores. Oh, no. I was on uh, Keystroke Medium uh, a few weeks ago and they uh, – They, uh, uh, Kayleen said my name and was like, and said it like four different ways. And she's like, did I get any of that? Right. I said, it was all right. It was perfect.
0: (laughs) All right. So the next part of the, uh, introduction is where we talk about the, the various guests. So first I'm going to introduce John Gibbons, who hasn't been on the podcast before, and he doesn't have a bio. In fact, we don't even know if John exists or if he's what Walt (laughs) calls his imaginary friend. I mean, if you can't. If you can't find a bio on the internet, can they really be real? So, imaginary friend, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Okay. So, uh, my name is John Gibbons. I'm obviously, from my great accent, compared to these American gits, is uh, (laughs) I'm from the the UK, currently reside in uh, in Manchester in the northern part of England. I am a freelance illustrator for um, the gaming industry, role-playing games, board games, and also, I do the occasional book covers for very talented writers, like Walt. Um, I love you. Yeah, well, you know, plug, plug. And, um, and yeah, so basically, I've been um, illustrating for probably around 15 years on a professional basis. Uh, been a gamer all my life. Uh, yeah, you know what? God, God, That's about it, really. What more can I say?
0: You weren't going to confess?
2: No, okay. I, I will confess.
0: Come on. We know you're a secret agent for the Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
2: yeah, the third eye. The third eye in my forehead that gives it away. It does.
0: <laughs> yeah. We should try to hide it a little better, you know, makeup or something. Uh, and yeah, the we'll, accent we'll, because all, all bad guys in fiction always have your accent, don't they? It's absolutely true
2: right well, really I've never, ever, ever heard any bad guy, English bad guy, in American film with a Mancunian accent. <laughs> <laughs> you all think we've got the same bloody accent, and we haven't. <laughs> it all bad sounds the same. In American films don't speak proper English; they speak this bizarre American film English. <laughs> Look,
0: when you've had your head scrambled by as many IEDs as I have, everybody sounds the same. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so now we get to introduce our second guest, who's been on the show before, Walt uh, Robillard. Uh, I'm trying to say it as many ways as I can, so I will. Uh, I will beat the great and mighty Kayleen. So, uh, Walt is a longtime Rhode Island resident who lives uh, with his loving wife, loyal pup, and annoying cat. Uh, when not spilling ink all over the page, he can be found not talking about Fight Club uh, and spilling blood while he's not talking about it. After drinking lots of coffee in the U.S. Army, he left to pursue his various interests and probably to save his small intestines from said bad army coffee. Uh, and that's Walt. Uh, we could tell you more, but you know, he has Illuminati friends. <laughs> it's true. Thank you for the
3: kind introduction.
0: I, I try and shamelessly stole it from your Amazon page. So, right on. A, a little it bit of cheating. Which they stole uh, or which I,
3: I pilfered from my own website because, you know, I don't want to put too many details. I want people to
0: work for it. That's cool. I mean, I, I didn't appreciate, you know, looking out my window and seeing you hanging from the tree. But other than that, you know, you're doing it right.
3: Oh, well, you know, the good part was you saw me hanging from the tree. You didn't see the dog standing right behind you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he he trained his uh, warhound. Um, in fact, uh, if you if you watch any of the fantasy uh, movies where they got the giant, almost a horse warhounds, that that's because he trained them.
3: That's right. And actually, oh, my oh, yes. uh, my current warhound has been uh, Tuckerized. So, um,
2: what the hell's that? Uh,
3: it's, it's when somebody takes your, uh, takes your, uh, your real life, whatever, and then puts it in a book or, or, or fiction property. Um, uh,
2: I, I've got a bit in common well, because like, like you guys, I'm ex-serviceman and I used to be a, uh, uh a police dog trainer in the military. So, uh, hell yeah. Background for many years ago.
3: I got to tell you, man, that, that picture that you showed me some years ago with you and the yeah. dog. Um, that, that was epic. Yeah. Very, very epic. Right.
0: looking picture. Sure. Hmm. All right. And the second part of the introduction, dear listener is how we found them. So I found this motley crew through uh, Walt, uh, who's active in the galaxy's edge fan club. Uh, when we, when he started preparing for an anthology from a shared RPG world, they caught my attention. Uh, and I invited them onto the show to talk about the, uh, the RPG and, uh, and hopefully a little bit about their, uh, the anthology they're gonna be doing later this year or next sometime ish so uh, what so what about you Winder how'd you first find these uh
1: these fine fine folks well while I met at a con um we we didn't actually go there for the same you know to meet we went there because we both wanted to meet our hero John uh it wasn't a cosplay kind of con though it was a it was a professional kind where they actually have meetings and and you have to attend the right things. Turns out that that John is a root beer connoisseur, and <laughs> so he, uh, he actually sets industry standards for how delicious root beer has to be. And so, everyone in the United States who actually likes root beer, which is probably ninety nine percent of the population, can thank John for his uh, his impeccable taste.
2: <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I love the stuff. In fact, I'm looking in my room now. I've got so many empty bottles on shelves <laughs> around them. Where
3: are oh my god, he's gonna hunt you down!
0: Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are are, are you talking about? Beer or root beer on yourselves, John? Let's just clarify.
2: Oh, oh of course. Yeah, beer, not root Is beer. It? I mean, who the hell calls? Who calls it root beer anyway? It's not. It's just some nasty medicine. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not beer. I mean, for God's sake. Come on. <laughs> it's
1: asperia. It'll make you run faster and jump higher.
2: Yeah,
1: well, run yeah. to the bathroom faster, maybe. <laughs>
0: yeah. But, you know, we, we beggars can't be choosers, right?
1: Right. all right so the religion question we're going to go with john first and i have my mouse over the kick button star wars star trek or firefly
2: star trek oh why the original series oh perfect that's my favorite too but why because i was brought up on it so um so In the UK at the time, when I was being brought up, so kind of like the mid-70s, there wasn't a huge amount of science fiction on television. We didn't have the uh, number of channels that you guys did probably in that day. So um, for us, it was kind of like you were either into Doctor Who, which was the mainstream in the UK, Mm -hmm. but the only real science fiction program that did the rounds were reruns of Star Trek, the original series. So so for me, that was my main taste to get into sci-fi, during my during my youth really and I was brought up on it so it was a, it was a big deal I mean you had as, as, as the years passed by you had kind of like a British TV start to bring things out like say space 1999 and um, Blake 7 but they were more kind of like the sort of early 80s but when I was young I always remember Star Trek okay and what
3: about you what do you want me to repeat my answer from the last time I was here? I
0: don't know. Has it yeah. changed? <laughs> no, hell no. <laughs> well, repeat it anyway. People might not have listened, right? and if you haven't listened, what the heck's your problem? Yeah, right, are.
3: exactly. Find me, find me now. I don't think I don't think my episode has aired yet. I think it might be holding.
0: Uh, oh, that's right. It was the introduction to the short stories you narrated, and then oh. I don't know whatever happened to those. So, answer for the first time and pretend you didn't say it already. Yes,
3: um, I was. Uh, I was definitely a Star Wars kid, um, and. Uh, just because of the uh, the fact that it, it, it showed that anybody could be somebody, you know, I mean, because God knows we know the hero um, of the story, the whole story um, was actually just seen for only a moment in Return of the Jedi. And then we find out later he was actually a clone commando the whole time. Spoilers? jeez! Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because I'm spoiling those, this 40 year old property. Um, but I enjoyed, I enjoyed Star Wars because it it was it was gritty, it was damaged, it was dirty. you know these guys these guys had to fight against overwhelming odds uh, with the stupidest tactics known to man and try and, and overcome uh, a vastly superior force, you know because um, uh, because they knew they were right. Um, not because of some warped sense of morality or, or, you know, fascist agenda or, you know, whatever, whatever the current buzzword is, but they, they knew that, that the current government wasn't working because the people were suffering. Uh, And they, just a couple of people with the the right attitude had to do something about it. As a kid that really spoke to me because, I mean, um, my family are all immigrants and they, and, and, when you're when you're coming from that background, you really don't fit in anywhere. So to 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 see like this, you know, my, I mean, if if a, a giant nine foot tall like gorilla dog creature <laughs> could be seen as like a hero, you know, why couldn't I? You know, why why, why couldn't my fr- my friends? You know, if we can't fit in. With, you know, the the general of society, you know, maybe there's a crew somewhere on, on some dirty, dusty rust bucket flying through space that, that we can fit into. And that's that's really what I enjoyed about Star Wars. It was more about, you know, that family you build versus the family, you know, you started with, which was really cool for me.
2: But you see, I, 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 I agree with that, Walt. But I think the thing that bothered me a bit about Star Wars is I remember, like everyone else, being a young kid and queuing up and going to see Star Wars and being completely blown away by it and then having to wait a couple of years before empire and a few more years for return the jedi and it was great because you were not inundated with the the social media or 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 the amount of of other stuff that was pumped into it like it is today so basically you watched the film and you had to wait two to two years for the next one to come out and you had nothing in between really apart from say some sticker albums or something <laughs> you know but, but It's like I I found what what spoilt Star Wars for me is too much, I think, beyond that. Because, for example, I remember watching the original Star Wars and you had the Stormtroopers, and to me, they were guys, normal squaddies, in their white armoured uniforms who were there for whatever reason. And then when you start watching the latest ones and find out everyone was like a clone warrior, I think that spoilt it. But that's just my that's just my kind of like two pennies worth you know I just i think you know the original the original three films were great, but I think it's been spoilt by the influx of too much information
3: oh yeah because I mean if you saw what happened after i mean those first three movies um there was a lull and the only thing keeping star wars in the in the public consciousness even though it wasn't as wide as it it would have been today was the star wars role playing game uh in fact when Later on, when um, Timothy Zahn was brought in to, uh, you know, write the books um, that would follow five years after the uh, the Return of the Jedi, um, that's what they did. They handed him copies of the Star Wars role playing game, and they said, "Check this out. This has everything you need to know." Um, and, and I think that that right after that, you know, when once Timothy Zahn reached that level of success with heir to the empire, which just exploded for fans who were just hungry for content. Um, you you ended up with something like, like 50 or 60 books that followed in that one series. Um, and now they're, they, you know, now that's all legends and, and, and pushed to the side and now they have new content coming out. So I absolutely agree that there's, there's, too much, too quickly, and and nobody has time to breathe and savor and enjoy. But I think that's that's kind of a, a thing from the Netflix era of doing everything. Everybody wants binge content; mm-hmm. and they want it now.
2: It is, and I think I, I think <clears throat> with it is kind of like it, it, I think in a way it stunts your imagination a bit, though, because. Um, I, I remember, like I say, going to see the original three films and there wasn't much other stuff. I actually bought the books at the time, which were books written by, what was the guy's name who wrote all the books on the original screenplay? Quite a famous guy did a lot of movie books. Oh, an author. Oh, I can't think of his name. I think and as, a, as a side what note, John,
3: just make sure to mention as many cultural references as possible. JR <laughs> loves this.
2: Especially <laughs> obscure ones. <laughs> yes. yeah. No but there was there was there was there was an author, and he was famous for writing, so a film would come out, say Star Wars or Return of the Jedi, and then he would then write the novel based on the film and he did and and he was quite a famous author, and he did a lot of these kind of big blockbuster movies uh, i can't think of his name, but it's been so long but anyway i um you know I remember watching the three films and being blown away and then picking up the books, but I found the books hit me more emotionally, say, than the films. So, for example, you know, yeah, the films are great. They were a, a spectacular visual art. And, and it, you know, as a young kid, it gave you what you want. But, and I'll, I'm not embarrassed to say it, I, I, I've returned the Jedi, the novel, and I remember crying in bed as I was reading the bit when Darth Vader dies at the end. Where well, I never did that watching the film itself. You know? So I think the books actually gave more because there wasn't a huge amount of stuff out there to feed you. You know, you were you you were engrossing it and you had to use your own imagination and, and and seek out smaller other things that would get you involved with the Star Wars universe rather than being bombarded by here's the answer to this, here's this, here's that. This is what these guys are all nice. about. Yeah. I will find author's name. I'm determined to find his name. <laughs> George <Once> Lucas. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. well, that
0: guy can't write. uh, uh, first while he's looking just let me say team darth vader darth vader did nothing wrong the rebel (laughs) terrorist scum destroyed uh, a whole military installation killing hundreds of thousands of people jeez
1: all those tax dollars down the drain Mm -hmm. all they
0: do is want to keep (laughs) peace and stability in the empire
2: all right so while john's looking have you, watched, have you watched those? Um, uh, those um, oh, what are what they called now. The same guys I think we did Team America. They do like the kind of like scene kind of like uh, mo- movies. Um, oh <laughs> God, i man You know, I'm terrible. You, know, you shouldn't even have gotten me on the I'm the worst person to talk about. No, you see them like uh, you see them on Facebook when it's like alternate sort of like things. It's all I've like seen animated. a lot of what
0: you're talking about, uh, and
2: it's really fun. I can't think what it's bloody called now. I'm still trying to find his name and his author, his goddamn author, who he wrote this book. <laughs> it's going to be in my Okay. But uh, well,
1: while Walt, I was thinking about it, Walt, I, what was your first memory of watching, <laughs> reading, or playing games in the science fiction genre? Um, watching, uh, that would be uh, something
3: that John mentioned, actually. Space 1999. Oh, my God. Right? How good was that? Uh
2: Shit <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh my god yeah that was uh, my first watching um, reading uh, oh god um, I started fan reading fantasy before I started reading science fiction me too um, once I got into yeah once I got into science fiction I um, uh, I read Starship Troopers for the first time as a kid and was yeah. blown away. And then they came out with that movie, and I wanted to like rage quit life. I was like, <laughs> "What the hell is this?" Um, the movie is awesome, sir. But, uh uh huh. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 something, all right. Um, but then, um, half
2: uh, uh, of her crazy, her crazy smile, <laughs> the <other one> is-
0: <laughs> Ten more minutes. But then, ten more minutes. <laughs> but ten more minutes. <laughs> No, that's the line from the movie. Oh
3: yeah, yeah. Uh but then um uh playing games. Uh I started uh, Dungeons and Dragons when I was when I was in junior high school. Yeah and then uh, and then uh uh while I was in the army, uh they came out with the Star Wars role playing game. And I was just like, Yes, this is amazing. So um <laughs> I uh, really enjoyed that as well. And like I said, uh, you know, there was there was a wealth of information in those, but um they, those led to those, that was like a rabbit hole because um any any store that carried that particular game also carried uh Shadowrun, Cyberpunk, mm, yeah. uh, uh you know, um you, you, it was just a, a a love fest of science fiction in gaming. And uh it really filled those spaces in between in between deployments.
2: Oh, the original cyberpunk role-playing game was 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 amazing. Right. Absolutely, I, I love. And how about a lot
3: game. of that art that that was in there? That- yeah,
2: yeah, nice black and white, crazy art. And the cover was beautiful. Yes. The cover was a great. Yeah, absolutely, it was stunning. But that was, but you know what? I picked that. I still, I might even still have a copy of that somewhere on in my, in my thing. But I was reading through it a few. Uh, a, it must have been about a year ago. Looking at the technology, and it was like they, they talked about a personal computer. <laughs> <laughs> uh and the equipment section and when you look at the personal computing equipment section it's got a memory of about you know 10 10 kilobytes or yeah it was kilobytes. tiny and They got it so wrong you know what i mean it's bizarre because like you know it's like the, no one no one envisions just how much technology advances even even when you're writing a novel you know what i mean it's it's easy to kind of like um to portray the way you think technology will work um when it's technology that doesn't exist now, but when you're trying to sort of imagine how current technology develops, it becomes very difficult and usually quite wrong.
1: Okay, well, what was your uh, your first memory, John? Was it uh, uh, Star Trek?
2: Yeah, like I say, so for me, it was you know, Star-, Star Trek was was the very start of my kind of like um, my my science fiction hit, really. And I used to, you know, it used to be, it used to be on, on uh, one of our channels, but again, it wasn't kind of like, we didn't have the luxury of having like the full run of it. So you didn't get kind of like series one and series two, you might get episode four of season three. And then next week it might be episode two of season three. You know what I mean? Mm, It's just, it was just, you know, it was just all over the place. But the good thing about Star Trek was you didn't have to watch it in, 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 in order. Right. You know, every individual Star Trek episode was its own little unique story, which is what I used to like about things like, um, like you talk about Space 1999 and Doctor Who. Back in the day, that's the way it was written. I don't watch Doctor Who now because they've gone down the, the usual route of, it's almost kind of like now an entire season is one story. So you have to watch the entire season to know what's going on. Back So when I was a kid, Every Doctor Who TV program started off with the noise of the TARDIS. The TARDIS would appear in a planet or in a spaceship, and that episode was the adventure of the Doctor, wherever he is. You know, yeah. shooting in next week and a completely different adventure. You know, um, so that's sported for me the way it's gone nowadays. The way they tried to turn it too much into a soap opera. You know, I, and and I think that was because that was the nature of British television at the time where. We got a lot of our stuff from America. I think obviously they the main must have worked with the with the uh, the TV channels. They couldn't maybe purchase all of the seasons. I don't know, but we got it in very you know sporadic bursts. So you know it was it was it was an amazing thing at the time to sort of watch stuff like that. Um, and then role playing games came along for me, uh, like Walt when I was probably about. I think about 14, but again, it wasn't a UK thing. Um uh, There was a girl who we used to go to school with. Her dad traveled around the world a bit. He'd been to the States and brought back a box set of the original Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, yeah. You know, gave it to her as a present. She brought it into school and was like, look what I've got, guys. And we were like, well, what is it? You know, we'd not heard of role playing games, no idea what they're about. They gave it to me because I was the sci-fi junkie, you know. So I got the time <laughs> to at home and looking at it, and I was like, Well, where's the board? Where's the what's going on? You know, how do you play this? And it took quite a bit of um of experimentation before we even knew what to do and how to go about doing a role-playing game. You know, it was a bit of a bizarre kind of like circumstance really. And, that, and that's where my, you know, my habit started in, in, in role-playing business, really, when I was very young, like 14, 15, never got back. So
0: when you guys started playing, was um, D&D and role-playing games uh, trendy, or was it something the nerds did and you had to hide?
2: Well, for me, like I say, it was a non... If if you'd said to any kid in the in the early 80s in, in UK, what's Dungeons & Dragons, they would look at you and go, I've never heard of Dungeons & Dragons. So it didn't it didn't have that geeky sort of nerdy stereotype that you would expect. it just wasn't on the radar of anybody
0: okay what about you Walt?
3: Uh, it was definitely nerdy um, if you wanted uh, if you wanted a date for the prom you you didn't tell anybody <laughs> <laughs> that you were gaming. You know, um, gonna,
2: go, you didn't go to the prom in your Dungeons and Dragons t-shirt and you would. Yes, yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. Um, and then in the army, it was funny because um, usually if if you were approached for gaming, it was because you were reading something that kind of tied into it. Um, uh, somebody had, had uh, I, I ended up reading uh, The Lord of the Rings late. Um, I was on a deployment and somebody had a copy um, and I eventually read through the whole series and they said, well, you know, I was looking for other things to read and they said, if, if you like this, you should try Dragonlance. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I picked up the, I picked up the first book and, uh, uh, I was on a deployment and, uh, and somebody looked at me and said, you know, what, what's that? Is that like Lord of the Rings? And I said, yeah, a little bit. And he goes, oh man, I've been looking for something else to read. He's like, cause you know, um, and he, you know, now, now this isn't like, you know, we weren't admin. These, these, these were like hard ass infantry dudes. And he's looking around like he's about to sell me a fucking kilo of coke. And he's like, "Hey, uh, I, I play Dungeons and Dragons,
1: and I need a fix. So
3: after you're done, can I, can I, can I read that?" I'm like, "Really? You know, I mean, this guy's like nine feet tall, four and a half feet wide. Door frames quiver when he walks up because they know they're gonna die as he passes through. <laughs> and, it, and he's an, was like an uh, an ardent um, Dungeons and Dragons player." And that's usually how you encountered it in in the wild Um, back then. That was that was uh, early '90s, Um, but nowadays it's like um, you know. Oh, you've never played Dungeons and Dragons? (laughs) Well, you know, and and (laughs) it's while it is very nice to be able to put your geek on the outside. Um, there's almost like a sense of, of loss that, uh, you know, you're not going to know the
0: struggles we went through for your D&D freedom, you know? Mm-hmm. So
3: it's, it's, it's
0: really interesting the way that that oh, turned it. around.
2: So, trendy so,
0: so basically, hipsters ruined your fantasy, huh? <laughs> that, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I could have phrased that a little bit better.
1: All right. So, uh, John, how'd you go from your love of science fiction to writing in it?
2: Well, yeah, so, so so, so, for me, it was kind of like, you know, I, it was probably my hook on the role-playing game. So like I said, when I was about 14, I got into role-playing games, and then basically that was it. I I, I soon became the de facto games master. So it was kind of like, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, John's a guy who'll run all the games for us. And then obviously things like writing and artwork come naturally from that. Um, you know, so, you know, I've always been a frustrated, You know, I'm not like you guys. I'm I'm a very frustrated writer where I have lots and lots of concepts and ideas, but I don't have a the patience. or probably be the, um, well, I won't say the imagination. I've got the imagination, but the, the maybe the 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 correct use of grammar to sort of put pen to paper, um, you know. So so my my creative spurge, you could say, went down the the artwork route. You know, so you know, so now, you know, regularly I've come up with these 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 ideas for these universes, like the after. all. there was one called Extreme Earth that I did.
3: Uh, oh my look, God, so good!
2: Yeah, and, and rather than kind of like writing it myself, I, I go look for the uh, you know the uh, the writers to do the writing for me and just sort of do the artwork and the concept artwork around it to sort of spur them on, uh, and that's how I get my you know that's how I get my fix. Um, but, well, yeah, I mean, everyone—you know—everyone's got a novel, haven't they? And I used to spend when I, when I, when I was younger, in um, any, any free time between writing, sorry, between uh, uh, creating art and say role playing, especially like when I was in the forces, you know, where I didn't, I did. Unlike you guys, who sound like you had sort of role playing buddies in the forces, there was nothing like that when I was there. So I used to be walking the wire just thinking about novels and what what novels I'd want to write, et cetera. But unfortunately, they never came to fruition because my creation part came from doing artwork. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, still in the back of my mind, I've probably got about half a dozen novels I'd like to pen one day, but I just know it's never going to happen because I've, I've got the attention span of a gnat. So, ah. you know, it's kind of like, you know, to me, it's just pen to paper and start drawing instead.
0: So what you have to do with those ideas is you have to track down your friends that are writers and approach them with those ideas and say, I'll give you the idea, and you write it, and you give me half the money. Yeah. <laughs> but you got to do it at a con, too. you got to do it at a convention. I'm told that's how it happens. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, okay.
0: All right. So what about
3: you, Walt? Oh, uh, I'm – pretty much the same way as John. I just track people down and tell them to write shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Perfect.
3: No, I mean, I mean, I started in 2004 uh, with hazard studio. Cause, um, I was very frustrated. I had gotten out of the comics industry and I, and I was just, I was frustrated that more people weren't drawing writing and whatever. Cause there was at the time, there was such a barrier to entry. It's not like it is today that you can go on Amazon, buy four programs and suddenly you're producing books. Mm. Yeah. Um, so um, I started Hazard Studios as a way to like increase that talent pool, and uh, because I didn't want to be the only one, um, and uh, you know it 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 worked. You know we we made some really great uh, associations, really great friendships and partnerships. Um, uh, you know we started drawing and writing. Uh, we you know we've we've published god umpteenth amount of role playing game supplements. You know, um, millions of words written, um, tons of hours of gameplay, uh, lots of lots of connections made. So, I mean, that's that's really how it started for me. Was was it started through gaming? And, and the, um, I didn't want my skills that I learned um, for drawing and stuff like that to atrophy. But I didn't want to work in comics because at the time, uh, mid to late '90s, the comics industry was was suffering a stroke. Um, and it was, it was not a good time to be working in that industry. So, um, mm. you know, kudos to the people who survived it and, you know, pulled out and, you know, got rehab and, you know, went, went to their 12 step groups because, mm. um, it was just, it was, it. Blah. um, but, um, you know, to, to be able to now transition into pros and stuff like that, um, from the RPG side, uh, yeah, it's, it's been an adventure, uh, especially when you get an editor, that, uh, you know, either tells you you're writing like you're writing a textbook, because that's usually how an RPG book is written, much very similar to a textbook. Hmm. Um, or, you know, they're telling you, um, who told you you could write? Ooh, <laughs> <ouch>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you, you take your bumps, you know, you you. it's just like any other skill. The more you do, the more you practice, you know, the more you learn. And then you just go from there. So, right on.
0: I had an editor... I had an editor once tell me I should just hire a ghostwriter, so I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> I got a new
1: editor. All right, so, uh, so that's, that's another, part of the show. So you, you come I'm on. sorry, that, that's part of the show where we go ahead and pause and show uh, for the man.
4: Well, hello, all you beautiful chicks and dudes of all sorts. This is Suave Rob Suarez, the double X Daredevil star of Suave Rob's amazing... Saving Association here with another (coughs) saving tip, totally free from me to you to help you save your (coughs) so you can live to sit another day. Now, back in the day when dudes were dudes, this one dude, Benchmark Bob, buddy of mine, he had this little accident. He tried frying up an egg when he was totally hammered, so he washed a pan, then didn't dry it, then put a load of butter in it, then turned on the heat. Well, when you do that, chicks and dudes, the water makes the oil go splatso all over your own personal face. And good old Benchmark got his bench marked, if you know what I mean. Like, when he took his apron away from his face, it looked less like a face and more like someone had stepped on a pepperoni pizza. I don't like to think about it. But that goes to show you, you know... Always dry your pans before you put oil in them, man, especially if you're frying an egg. Want to know where I learned all this gonzo sh-? I got it all done up pretty for you in Suave Rob's Double X Daring Do, the first book of Suave Rob's Awesome Adventures by J. Daniel Sawyer. Come share the awesomeness with me, my brothers, because you never know the <laughs> you save may be your own
0: all right welcome back and thank you for sticking with us through that sweet sweet commercial interlude did you hear it the sound of the cha-ching! all right and we are back so uh before we went into the commercial because um <clears throat> chris is a no good money hungry person um you were you were saying something john do you remember what it was i know it was a few minutes ago
2: yeah yeah i was just uh, you know I, I know walt mentioned comic books and, and i think um you, you know I, again uh a big influence on, on 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 my sort of creative sort of background is probably american comics and um and again i i i can only talk about the way it was in the uk at the time and you gals are so spoiled because you know you, you know that that's where the comic industry started for you over there but for me you know american comics dc and marvel comics when i was younger was a huge a huge aspect and impact positive impacts on my life but again it was very, very sporadic because, you know, they, 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 you know, the UK must have bought American comics in huge batches. So you would go to the local um, news agents or I don't know what you call them over in America, but over here it's a news agent and, and, you know, you would, you would search the shelves and find maybe two or three American comics, and it might be, say, you know, Spider-Man issue 200, but then you might never see another issue with Spider-Man in, 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 again. So it was, you know, you could never, ever sort of pick up a series of comics and read, a, you know, a, a big batch of them in all day. It was just individual comics from different ages and just read. But, but it was, a, you know, I used to have a big box under my bed, but they were all over the place and, you know, different makers, and different writers and different issues. So, you know, so that was a big influence, I think, comic, you know, comics, comics for me. I mean, Britain obviously had its comics like 2000 AD, which is – you know a, quite a dark sort of sci-fi um comic brilliant you know, compared to what was out in america at the time i suppose uh,
3: um, heavy metal would probably be the closest yeah
2: yeah probably yeah and heavy metal was, was great as well although heavy metal was a little bit more kind of there was a lot of soft poured in heavy metal as well wasn't <laughs> you know, I it you know i had a couple of heavy metals underneath my mattress you know like that. <laughs> 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 that's what it was like when you were a kid you know but um but yeah, 2000 AD was a bit was 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 probably a huge influence because you know it was it, it was a massive thing in the UK at the time. But again, very dystopian in its views and you know a bit, quite dark, dark sort of comic serials in there compared to what was coming out from America at the time. Uh, but yeah, I see I, you know comic comic books were, were were a big influence I think on me. Okay.
0: Well, um, you've just added more to the show notes, so we appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And, uh, transitioning away from the writing creative side, let's talk about things from uh, a little bit of a fan angle. So has anyone asked for your autograph when out in a public, uh, out in public away from conventions or uh, regular book signing game events? I guess whatever the RPG equivalent of a book signing is.
2: Well, I mean, for for me, I mean, I've I've been to a couple of conventions uh, in in the UK, and not so much in conventions, but I suppose for me it was in gaming shops. So there's a couple of gaming shops uh, uh, in, in Manchester, you know, close to where I live, and and I remember going to the gaming shops to sort of like to, to tag along and 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 sort of play a few uh, on a few tables, and you know, I'm sort of sat there and I look over at a table and. Is a game being run, which was uh, Extreme Earth, which is one that I created. And it's like, oh, look, you know, these guys. So I went over there and introduced myself. Nah. And no one <laughs> believes you. You know, you're not, <laughs> you're, not, you're not this guy. No, I am. No, no, get out of it, you know. And then there's someone else who's got another book that you've done a cover for or illustrated for. So that's happened quite a lot for me, um, which is pretty cool, especially when they ask you to sort of sign the cover. You know that's that's always a uh, always a, a nice sort of ego trip. Let's face it, we all love it, don't we? Deep down, yeah. You know, uh, a you know that's that's been pretty good. But uh, but yeah, I suppose it's it's different for me from an artist's point of view because even though art makes a huge impact to a role playing game, also it has a huge impact on a novel because you know as well as I do, you walk into into a bookstore and you're looking at. A thousand science fiction novels on the wall. It's the cover that originally gets you attracted to that book. That's this the cover that makes you pick that book up before you turn the, to the back page and read the synopsis. Yeah, a bad cover is was, was guaranteed to be the death of a novel. So, but people underestimate that a little bit, I think, and sometimes. You know, uh, cover artists and illustrators get a little bit of a bad deal when it comes down to the publicity and the workings of of, of, of the industry around role playing, and also, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the the big novel and writing industry as well. I think.
0: All right. So, what about you, Walt? Has anybody asked for your John Hancock? Uh,
3: yeah, uh, comic book store slash gaming store. Um, a couple of my books were on the wall, and. Uh, one of the guys went. Some one of the patrons went to go pick it up, and the guy said, uh, "You know that guy over there that's uh, uh, looking at the rack? Uh, that guy, uh, uh, that's his." And they're like, "Oh, oh, he? Uh, what did he put it on consignment?" <laughs> He's like, n- n- "No, he, he, he that that's the you know the publisher." And the guy came over, and we had a nice conversation. And I-, I asked if he wanted me to sign it, and he said, "No, just sign this piece of paper. I'll stick it on the inside. Don't ruin my damn book." <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a solid answer. I can respect the dedication. So, uh, have you right have you ever spotted uh, someone reading uh, your your books or playing your games outside of gaming shops, or is that just generally where everyone goes to do it?
2: Yeah, I think for me, if that's where people go, you know, it's kind of like it, it, you're going to bump into people at potential convention, or you're going to bump into people in gaming shops. But apart from that. It's not the kind of thing you stand in a pub discussing, really. <laughs> not in the UK, anyway.
3: Well, it's, it's funny because um, in my state, we have, um, we have uh, a small brewery uh, called Revival Brewing. Um, and they're very, uh, they're very excited about being in the state. Um, a lot of their uh, beers have uh, state themes. And uh, they host a gaming night like twice a week. Um, people can come, have a meal, drink some beer, play D and D, you know, meet players from around the area. We, I, I was, I was pretty stoked to see that happen. So yeah, right on.
0: All right. So, uh, finally, what's the weirdest or funniest story about an interaction you guys have had with a fan since you started your uh, endeavor down this creative highway. So we'll start with you, John.
2: Oh my God. That's put me on the spot. Jesus. Um, (laughs) no No pressure. It's it's different with no pressure. I suppose I don't know, but really, it's hard. I suppose it's kind of like really, from my point of view, it's just when you attract the strange ones at a convention, you know, and and it's just like, you know, I, I went to a convention down south. And I had a little stall. I was selling my artwork, and I had I had created this um, this this picture and i think at the time it was actually for extreme earth well, it was it was a, it was kind of like a uh it was one of the characters from that setting and he was kind of like a little bit like an iron man type character and i've done this illustration and i actually had it on a, on a canvas for sale <laughs> is that the one out.
3: with all the uh advertising on his that's armor yeah that's yes. it yeah, that's i love it. that image oh my
2: god yeah that's the one so i had that blown up on a canvas and it was for sale and this guy came up to me and He must have spent about two hours stood there and he was basically, but he was, he basically was just telling me how much it looked like his Destiny character. And it was, (laughs) (laughs) and and I just had to listen to two hours of him talking about Destiny to me. And I'm like, thinking, please just buy it and go away. (laughs) But yeah, just just odd things like that, really. Is Destiny
0: uh, a game? It's
2: it a video is. game. It's a it's a computer game Oh, see like how old fashioned I am saying computer game. You don't say <laughs> that you. what is it now? It's a console game or whatever.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's kinda like Halo. Okay. Um,
0: Fair enough. All right, so normally uh, we'd list out uh, what these guys have written, uh, but they're not that kind of creator. Well, Walt has a uh, several anthologies coming out and uh, some novels that'll be out soon, but uh, yes. mostly these guys spill their words into the pages of various RPGs and uh, their blood onto canvas for for art. So uh, let's let's dive into that to that RPG lifestyle. Uh, so, what do you guys think makes a good RPG? And we'll start with Walt this time.
3: Ooh, um, um, uh, that's going to be subjective to people because what I might enjoy in a game, somebody else might not. Um, I, I personally like games where the rules get out of the way and don't impede the story. If I have to stop the action at the table every thirty seconds to look up some obscure rule, um, that's that's not a fun game for me. Um, you know, if I am playing, you know, high school the role playing game, no, no, I am all set. Um, but some people like that level of, uh, of, um, adaptation from life to table. And, and, uh, you know, I would never, ever, ever tear down somebody's fun. Um, if that's, if that's fun to you, that's cool. Um, I, I really enjoy stuff where, um, the, uh, the, and I apologize for the lapping noise. My, my warhound is, uh, getting, getting his water on, um, the, uh, um, I, I really enjoy games that, uh you know, progress story while giving you just enough mechanics to make it just random enough for the odd thing to happen. You know, that, that gun failure or, you know, your sword, um, you know, your sword after whacking away at the bad guy's invincible armor finally breaks. And now you need to find the weapon that's going to do it for you. And, you know, just, you know, having that simple mechanic that progresses a story, but stays out of the way so that your head stays in the game and not in the book. And of course don't don't knock like John said, do not knock the power that really great art has on a game
2: all right, what about you, John well I think i'm a I'm a bit with Walt and then a bit against what Walt says really from my point of view because i'm I'm a bit kind of like when, you know what I like crunching my role playing games um
3: so it's kind of like we, we we might have to define crunch, John
2: <laughs> yeah. so crunch is kind of like rules, Yeah, so so that, that, there's a the, the, lately over the past few years, there's been kind of like a little bit of an urge of role playing uh, creators to go very very rules light, so some people like that, and some people don't, so when I say rules light it's kind of like it's it's, it's more about using the role-playing game to tell a story for the people around the table. So there's not many rules. It's, it's based around, okay, you want to do that? The DM goes and the GM goes on the fly. Yeah, sure, you can. Just roll that dice for me and we'll see how it works out. I've always been the opposite to that. You know, I, I like I like a nice, thick book. You know, I've always been like that. You know, I like, I like a book that's got lots of rules, lots of backgrounds, what attracts me to role playing games is, and I like I like to pick up a large tome that's filled with plenty of artwork and has got a huge history in it. You know, it might be that, say for example, fifty percent of the book might just be backstory, but that's what I like. Um, and I found over the past few years that's been lacking slightly in a lot of current books that come out, which is the reason why. Um, I tend to come up with a lot of homebrew stuff myself, so I'll come up with my own world and then think. And I, as an afterthought, it's like, oh my god, what rule system am I going to have to find to convert this to my setting or convert this to my to my way of thinking? You know. But um, yeah, I, I, I like the I like the chunky story and I like uh, substance in my games. Okay. Which is a bit different to what Walt's saying, I think.
1: Alright, so there are a whole bunch of different types of role playing games. Uh, for instance, Dungeons and Dragons Original was just imagination and I haven't played it since, but I've seen it played and now they have like little figurines and maps and, yeah. and you march and, and it, yeah, it's gone to that. But what's your favorite type? Cause I, I as I understand, there's also role playing games that use nothing
2: but cards as well. So what's your favorite type, John? Yeah, well, I mean, the, you, occasionally you get these role playing games that pop up to try and do something different, and a lot of the times they fail. So um, the the first thing about role playing games to realise is that ultimately it's all about getting people around a table. Now, I've you know, I, some people don't have the luxury of that. You know, I've I've role playing games in in in, 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 a, in a lounge or sat in the back of a truck with five guys, and you've just sort of got on with it with a handful of dice and a piece of paper in your hands and you have not even add a map or any kind of anything or figures and it can be just as enjoyable sometimes i think people see it on tv you look at things like say stranger things and the, and they still seem to think that people play with little figurines on maps and yeah don't get me wrong i mean that has its that has its has its its place in in role playing games and i still do use those kind of things when i'm when i'm running for my group but ultimately it should be more about the narration and about people getting into their character and the storytelling aspects you don't need gadgets um, but yeah i think for me i, I role-playing games come in different genres so you can get your fantasy games like Dungeons dragons you can find hard science fiction games you can find superhero games you can find horror games pulp games you name it it's all out there and the and the good cool thing is is you know you, you change you you, you know what one year I might run a, a fantasy game with my guys, and then you get a taste for some science fiction, and you want a science fiction game. Usually, after you've seen a good movie or read a good book, because that's what normally happens to me when I go and see a good film or I read a good book, and go, oh no, that's got that's that's I've got to do a game based on that, and that's, that's what makes you know changes your appetites. So when you say get
0: into character, do you mean like uh, to the level where people are doing accents and funny voices and
2: dressing up? or are You uh, you know, yeah, it's it's like, you know, when, when you talk to people who don't role play or who've not role played before. You know, you get the old. Oh, do you put a wizard hat on? Do you put? A- <laughs> <laughs> you know, you get all that shit, don't you? You know, you swing swords around, and don't get me wrong. I remember being a kid at like sixteen, and yeah, people would kind of like binging pretend swords or or uh, airsoft pistols if the play if you played a cyberpunk and stuff. You know, you, you know, you do, but no, it's it's it, it it's more a case of getting into character. Is is just. It, well it's hard it's hard to explain you know there's nothing harder than trying to explain role play to someone who's say never role played it's one of the worst questions to be asked if i'm in a pub and someone says oh what do you do as a hobby you never say you're into role playing because they're going to say to you well how does that work how do you do it and it's just it's so difficult you know it's got elements of acting but it's more about using your imagination to to come out and play the character. And, yes, yeah, sure, you can do accents, and sure, you can do that kind of stuff. And sometimes it adds to it, and it can be fun. But, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit over the top if that goes you – know, and, and I suppose it depends on your gaming group. You know, my, my group are quite reserved. So if we had a new player that came and was really, really putting on the accents and stuff, we'd be all cringing a little bit, you know what I mean? Well,
0: <laughs> in all fairness, LARPing it, is a thing, so –
2: yeah yeah course Cities, yeah. yeah Yeah, so what about you Well, um uh,
3: you know the the simplest tools are always the best to me um um i I like the basics uh if i'm gonna do r p g stuff um i like I like something that's gonna be fast at the table um that uh, like i said is is not going to get in my way um as far as like mechanics goes, you know you got um you got you got games that use dice cards uh you got games that use funky dice that don't have numbers instead have symbols uh and those symbols have to be consulted for different things and and different effects so um usually um uh i'm i'm very simple when i when when i uh if i'm playing my own system my own system is just a, a dice pool system you know my handful of dice versus your handful of dice for to determine outcome uh and that that plays very well um uh, there's there's games like uh, savage worlds um, and uh, which is a, a generic game so basically you can kind of try and tailor it to any system uh, uh, to any setting versus rather um, the uh, you know no one game is good at emulating every type of story you're trying to tell um, and and I think uh, savage worlds really plays well with like that pulp type of 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 story, um, where it's normal people interacting with abnormal situations, um, you know, you get some sense of powers or whatever, you know. But they have uh, they've they've proven that uh, they have a, a a quick system that does a lot at the table, and it's a hybrid system. It it uses uh, both dice and cards. Um, but just a regular standard deck of playing cards to start out. And then once you get comfortable with the system, they have like cards that have special effects that you can buy. And it's, it's, it's really fun. So I think in my personal opinion, the, the, whatever is going to um, generate fun at the table and that, 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 that feeling of randomness, because I mean, if you're not having that random element to simulate the chaos of life, um, you're you're basically just in a story group. It's just a bunch of people sitting around, you know, doing improv. Um, but once you add that that game mechanic, the uh, the the rules that 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 put your characters in those situations, and then the um, the rules that that allow them to adjudicate those situations, um, you know, now you're no longer just telling a collaborative story. You're actually playing a game that where the possibility of failure exists, and and that's what makes the game uh, the game. Because if you if you can't fail or lose, and it's not like you can, you know, oh well, I won Dungeons and Dragons tonight. That's not something people say. But I mean, you know, um, uh, if your character, if the character that you're you're running at the table doesn't have the ability to lose something, um, then there's there's no sense of tension, you know, and, and and that's really what we're all there for. We want that tension.
2: Okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's a. Uh, I think sometimes losing is what makes the makes it a fun event to be part of as well. So, for example, yeah. you know, it's kind of like you know you you, you you all have a favorite character that you played in the past, and usually the memories that you have, the fond memories, are when something's happened to that character. So, you know, you might be playing like a, a knightly swordsman who might have who you might have played every week for a good 12 months going to this guy's house to, to, to play. And then at the end of that 12 months, he fought the big bad dragon at the end of it and went out in a blaze of glory, killed the dragon, but was killed himself. Now, in a way, You've lost that character. That character's gone. You've just invested 12 months of your, of your weekly time to develop that character and to play it, and he's now gone. But the memory of the way you went out and the memory you had of that character feeds the imagination and, you know... It makes it a fond memory and makes it a great character story to talk about and to remember. You know, we all watch films, and sometimes you watch the films. And you, you, take, for example, you watch Aliens. So you've got Aliens, the movie, which is a fantastic movie, and you've got so many great, unique little characters in that film. Everyone's got a favorite, whether it's Drake or Vasquez or Bishop or whatever. Yeah. All great. You're characters. singing my song. Yeah, precisely. All great characters. But at the end of it, 95% of them die. Yeah. But if you imagine that being in a role-playing game, that that film could have been a role-playing session where you've got these great unique characters with with huge personalities, but they all end up dying in a blaze of glory. But you can guarantee that the players would have walked away having a great time and they will be sat in a pub years down the line talking about those characters that all died fighting the alien horde. You know, and sometimes losing, and the the element of the fact that things can go wrong for your character is what makes it real for you, and and that's and that's the the positive element of role playing.
1: Okay, so so how do you feel about doing role playing games, but doing them over the internet, such as in in Skype or Google Hangouts? Um, and have you ever done it? We'll ask John first. Yeah.
2: Well yeah I, I it you see that's this is a tough one because it depend this does depend on the type of game you're playing so for example walt is talking about kind of rules light um narrative type of games and they are perfect for google hangouts because you you know because you don't need the hefty book elements and the rules elements of it while other games you know, you need to play over Get uh, over. this, this, this tabletop uh, software. There's one called Roll20 and there's one called Fantasy Grounds, and they're designed for you to sort of sit there and to have maps and to have figures that you can move and and, and have a proper table role-playing element. I've tried both of them. Um, I, I do struggle. Um, I find that um, I, I, I recently had a situation with my group. I'm quite lucky because the group that I role-play with On a bunch of friends that I've known since I was like 15 years old. And there's about five of us. And even now, what, 35 years later, you know, we still meet up once a week and we role play. And and that's quite, quite a good experience to have. But recently we had a situation where we couldn't do that. So we tried to role play online using Roll20. We tried it and we'd we'd all meet up online on one night and we'd run the system, we'd run the the software and we'd all be using our webcams and we'd all see little square box at the bottom and we'd looking at each other. And it was good, but for me, it didn't have that same appeal. I struggled a bit. I didn't have the social elements, which I like in a role-playing game. There's nothing better than meeting up around a table at someone's house for a few beers and role-playing. I didn't get that. And also I found that it stunted Role playing a little bit, it became almost too much like you're playing a, a video game. So, I, I, I do struggle, I do struggle greatly with them uh, online. Okay, well,
1: what about you, John? Or sorry, I know sorry,
2: what I'm good, not, well, you do it basis. What was that, John? I, I missed that. I know you, you role play regularly on, on Google Handouts, don't you? So, you're different.
3: Yeah, um, sorry, I uh, I uh, swallowed my coffee and <laughs> down the wrong <laughs> pipe, um, but um. The uh, uh, I really enjoy um, the online uh, aspect that has emerged because uh, there are now digital tabletops that uh, can be as immersive um, if you know what you're doing, um, and it takes a little time, you know, a little bit of uh, preparation, a little bit of. Uh, investment into you know getting what you want, um, but I mean, uh, it, you have uh, one called Fantasy Grounds that is, is game dedicated. So the um, the games are built into the digital tabletop. You have Roll Twenty, which um, has some of those aspects. But if if you wanted to run John's Aliens game and you wanted to run it using the Cyberpunk engine. You know, you could do that on Roll Twenty because it's 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 basically acting as a digital tabletop. So those miniatures you were talking about earlier, you you can get uh, in some cases for free. In other cases, you can buy uh, custom ones. You can get digital tokens that look kind of like those miniatures. Put them on the on the maps that you can download and, and create on this digital tabletop. And now instead of just theater of the mind, you know, a bunch of guys talking over Skype, um, you have an interface where you can see the table along the bottom of the screen. There's um, a video aspect. So, like, just like in a Google Hangout, you have everybody's uh, video box where they're hanging out and talking and doing whatever. And then, um, you know, the game table is in front of everybody. Um these digital spaces have cool um, things like animations and and um, special effects, like if a wizard, you know, throws his lightning hand at somebody, you know, he flips the middle finger <laughs> to the gods and it shoots a lightning bolt. Um, uh, there there's actual lightning animations that can, that you can use to, um, you know, direct that bolt toward whatever the target is. And, uh, you know, it, it makes it, it – it gives you that, that kind of fun at the table. You can integrate music um, if you're looking for a little bit of mood. Say you're running um, something out of Lovecraft's Call of Cthulhu and you want that, like, spooky, creepy – you know, music or you want like a little sound effect, like a door creaking. And, you know, and the first time I ever saw that on a digital table, I was like, did my cat just move my damn door? You know, (laughs) but it wasn't. It was actual sound effects coming from the digital digital tabletop. Um, You can do handouts. So like um, when uh, we were playtesting John's amazing. And if you do not own this. Um, and, and even if you are not a role playing gamer, you should immediately go out and pick up a copy of Extreme Earth. Um, uh, for the art, the art is mind numbingly good. Uh, mm. But imagine um, if Jack Bauer had superpowers. Oh, jeez! You know, right? Okay. Um, but not like not like every Jack Bauer is a Superman, but like everybody just you know there there are people in society. Who are empowered, kind of like uh, the Heroes TV show that was in the the, the early 2000s, um, and a lot of these, uh, some of these people are recruited into service, and you know they do dirty stuff behind the scenes, and it's yes, and there's an alternate history that goes with it. It's just amazing, amazingly good. We were doing um, uh, um, a series of games on the Band Podcast to show the different systems that John had uh, commissioned to um, debut this game because he, he wrote the game so that it could be used in multiple systems. Um, hmm. And we did a series of games uh, where we ran it in a systems called, in a system called mutants and masterminds. And then we did um, a series of games in another one called icons. And then we did a series of games in, uh, in my, um, uh, game system, which is Super's Revised Edition, and uh, you know, I had handouts for submarines. I had you know, bad guys, maps, um, sound effects, you know, and, and this is all stuff you can. And the great thing about these digital tabletops is everything is drag and drop. If you need a su- if you need a map for a uh, a warehouse because your superhero character is going to bust in on the drug ring that's operating out of this warehouse. You type in, you know, a drug ring warehouse into the search engine that's a part of the digital tabletop, and nine times out of ten, there's going to be a map there that you can use, <laughs> you know. You drag it over, expand it to what you need, add extra elements like uh, you know the the coffee table or the fact that uh, you know these particular drug dealers are, are refined. They don't drink uh, you know like tequila and stuff. They drink coffee and eat scones. <laughs> you know you can put those table. You can put a table like that with all that crap on it right in the middle. You know and and now you're you're. Your role-playing game characters can bust in. Um, there's dice mechanics programmed in, so that you can roll digital dice. You know, it's a randomizer, and you can bust your tea-drinking, scone-eating drug dealers. You know, and it's it's it. If you take the time to learn the interface, um, uh, and there are new ones springing up all the time. So if if one isn't your cup of you know your cup of tea or your scone, um, then there's uh, there's probably one out there that. Uh, might be more tailored toward the way you play. So, um, I enjoy it. And, and uh, usually uh, as part of uh, the BAMF podcast um, and now one of the sister podcasts, which is called Babies with Knives, which is <laughs> the greatest name ever. Um, uh, you know, we usually we usually have a, a digital or, you know, a virtual game um, and we use those virtual tables to uh, you know, kind of bring a little more breath into it. So, yeah, it's fun.
0: Wow. I and no you idea. just gave me a crazy, crazy crap ton of links, so thanks. Thanks for for making the (laughs) post-show, making it worth it. So, uh, I've looked at all of you guys' uh, games, and they all sound amazing, but today we wanted to focus on your game title, uh, your game titled The After. However, before we dig in, uh, can we just take a moment to say that I thought your game art is amazing? I've seen the quick start guide, uh, and the images are simply gorgeous. And for those of you who don't know what that is, that's basically an intro quick session for um, starter kit type deal for, for RPGs. At least that's my understanding um so did you guys um when you're picking the art is that something that you're looking for specific like basically i know you both draw and i know you but you don't always necessarily make your own art or do you and then what do you (laughs) and what do you what do you think makes good art for for an rpg is there a certain
2: style um okay so the, the art in rpgs can be very very hit and miss and can i just say for the record that you know yeah, I consider myself an artist, but believe me, there are a shitload of guys who have got a shitload more talent than I have. Okay, you know, I, you know, there there are fantastic artists out there. And He's
3: being not. modest.
2: No, I'm not. Just me. I, I, you know, it it, it it's very, um, you know, I, I can browse artwork sites all day long, and I almost feel like hanging hanging up the pencils. If you know what I mean? Because <laughs> It's it's very much like that, but I think the the key the key to good art in a game is very much what um, like I discussed about the good art for a cover. Whoever publishes or produces the game has to understand the impact that the art will have on that game, and it's either going to be positive impact or it's going to be negative impact. Okay, so a crap cover will not sell you your book. Okay. Crap artwork in a role playing game will not sell you your game for a start. In fact, it can detract people from the game itself. There's nothing worse than you know I, you know then you'll get you get a publisher and unfortunately this can be um, uh, you get a lot of small press publishers who don't have a massive budget and sometimes the last thing they think about is artwork. So they'll go out and they'll just get stock art. They'll buy very, very cheap art. They won't actually go to an illustrator to sort of say, look, I need a picture of this doing. They'll just buy art off the internet and they'll just start filling the books, empty spaces after the layout is done with this random art. And it's got and it's on different styles, different, you know, and it's just it will destroy the book. And that's that's me talking from an illustrator, but also talking from someone who's also involved in publishing role-playing games. Um and you know. I've been quite fortunate where, you know, from a financial point of view, you know, I'm quite in a fortunate position where, like most guys, I've got a proper full-time day job that pays the bills. And and the art for me is 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 um, something I enjoy doing that I can make money out of, but, you know, I don't need the art to survive, yeah? So, so you know, I, I can be quite good in the fact that I can spend time on it. So I can get an idea for a book, uh, such as the after or extreme earth we talked about, and I can think, okay, and I can spend my time creating artwork for it. You know, I've not got the pressure of thinking this has got to be out next week, or oh my god, I can't afford to pay someone to do the artwork. I can do it myself, and and that and that's a positive thing in a way because I can make sure the book I produce has got the artwork I want for it. I mean, you know, I would have no qualms about hiring another illustrator if I wanted additional art, but. I would would then put my art director's hat on and I want to make sure that the art is of a standard or of a similar style to what I want the book to have. You know, it doesn't have to be full colour. There are some awesome black and white artists out there. There's artists who just do pencil artwork, which is absolutely stunning. You know, it doesn't have to be all this full colour, beautiful digital art. It's just making sure the artwork fits, fits the writing and is relevant to the book itself. That's 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 my opinion.
0: He's being modest about his day job, so I don't know we, how many Anglophiles we have in the uh, in the listening audience. But if you've heard of MI6, James Bond, um, John actually works for he actually works for MI6 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, so what about you, Walt? What do you think makes good art? Um. Yeah, I'm just gonna go with what John said. I mean, when
3: you have when you have a product that is ramrod with, um, disparate images. Um, it, it just, it really, it, it really becomes a more of abstraction than what you, what you want. And you want those images to invoke what is in the book, you know? Um, it's kind of like when you buy a comic book and they have these amazing cover artists that are just like, wow. And then you open it and it looks like something out of, you know, cartoon, you know, network. And you're like, what the hell is this? You know, I mean, they, they spent all this money on a cover and then didn't spend any money on the interior art. Um, it's the same thing for a role-playing game book. You know, you could have, you know, you pick up a role-playing game book and they can have a sweet cover or what have you. And then you open the book and it's just, you know, stock art with no sense of, of art direction. They just needed something. And this looks about right. So I'm just going to plug it in. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree with John. You know, if, if you have somebody that, uh, an art director that can develop a sense of style for a book and, and brings in art pieces that, uh, enhances the product versus distracts from it, I, I think that makes all the difference. And John, if, like I said, John's art is, is, I, I am a huge fan of John's art, um, not just because I work with him, but just because his sense of style and scope. His uh, ability to gauge color to convey mood um, is just, you know, for for an artist. When you look at somebody who you want to rise to that level, um, to see the tricks and tips and, and neat things that they can do with their art, um, John, uh, you know, I, I've I said it a few minutes ago. John is being modest, and while he might have people he wants to aspire to, um, John's level of detail and um, ability to convey that mood and scene sense of scene in an image um, i think is unparalleled in in a lot of mediums so right
0: on
2: very nice to say all, all right
0: <laughs> so now that we've talked about your stunning art uh, we can dive deeper into the game itself uh, this is a question either one of you can answer in fact the next three questions you know are, are directed at you jointly um, so how did you guys come up with the premise for the the after universe where did the spark of inspiration come from
2: Okay, so um, I'm a huge fan of the American West um, and the cowboy and the cowboy life. You know, I, I I just you know, I mean, even though I'm from the UK, you know, it's 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 a massive it's a massive thing for me. I mean, the, you know, Wild Western films are probably my favorite genre. You know, I I eat it up whenever I whenever I come across it. So I've always been interested in 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 the frontier and that kind of like a, a American West spirit that you see in a lot of these films. I'm also a big fan of post-apocalyptic stories. Um, you know, we all like a good Mad Max or a, uh, you know, a kind of road warrior type uh, type story. And, you know, it was kind of like, it originally came up from thinking about a potential mashup of those two ideas. Um, I actually, where, where the premise for the, the book came around was I, I wanted to to have this kind of Western frontier vibe mixing with the post apocalyptic vibe that I had going on, and what I, what I was missing was the the potential post apocalyptic events that 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 started it all. And yeah, we know zombies have been done to death. You know, third world war has been done to death. You know the you know the 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 the, the plague, the DNA plague, has been done to death. Don't
3: forget the Kardashians.
2: Yeah, yeah. precisely. You know what I mean. And and I think what it was is there was um um I was I was I was browsing the internet like you do in these in these boring times of you know occasionally, and I came across this thing called the uh, I think it's called the uh, the Fermi paradox uh, F E R M I X. Read it if you get a chance. It's only short. It's only a few pages. And basically, what it talks about is uh, the fact that. it tries to come up with a reason why we seem to be alone in the universe. Yeah, this paradox. And and it says like, you know, in a universe that's so vast and has got so many galaxies and so many spiral arms of different universes out there, you know, I mean it's endless. Why is it that, you know, we seem to be alone? And and it gives a few pointers on the reasons why, and obviously you've got the, the the one for example, like the universe is so vast that maybe just we are in the equivalent of kind of like the Amazon jungle in Victorian times, and no one has ever has ever reached us. But one one of the reasons that scientists give, which is quite a scary, reason really, is is a possibility that there's some kind of super predator out there, and this super predator race regularly monitors the universe. If any race pops up that gets past a certain level of technology, it goes, okay, you've got as far as we're going to let you know. And that's it. And it closes the race down. And I just thought that that's an interesting idea. That would be quite a cool idea for the reason why you've got this post-apocalyptic event, that such a race turns up, you know. So that's where it started. That's where the concept came around of this alien invasion, which wasn't really kind of an alien invasion; it's an alien eradication. Basically, this alien race turned up to the ship down, completely white man- mankind off the face of the universe, and then move on. Um, and then I kind of thought, well, okay, how do I get the Western vibe? So I thought, well, you know what? Let's let's set it in in America. Let's set it in a. Uh, and what I did here, I kind of like looked uh, again the old magic Google. So I so I so I looked at um, the the. Kind of most um, uh, lesser habitated areas in America and Wyoming as a state has got a very small population and I thought well okay, if you're going to survive something like that, you're probably going to come from a place that's not going to get a huge amount of alien activity because there's not a lot going on there in the first place, so that gave me the, 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 the location which is Wyoming and let's face it, Wyoming's stock cowboys full and through and through isn't it so that also fed the the cowboy the wild west side of it and i thought well okay if, if it was a hundred years after and people are now crawling out and just start to make new lives for themselves they're going to probably go back to old ways pre-industrial technology because technology is not really now around so they go back to the old horse and saddle frontier lifestyle uh in this change world that's been changed by alien races basically and that's where the concept came from
1: all right so we read the blurb in the product reviews for comparisons but I'm, I guess I'm, I'm I'm not versed enough in in these more modern role playing games. I mean, it was Dungeons and Dragons, you know, Red Box, and and I even had the uh, the Gold Immortal box if y'all remember that. Um, so we'll we we'll punt and ask you instead, okay? So for our listeners who are gamers, what would you compare the after to, or is there a comparison, or is it is it just so unique when when
3: they when we were were first uh, bouncing this around? Uh, uh, the, the group of us that usually talk about new projects. Um, the, uh, uh, the thing that struck me about this was uh, there was a video game that came out about five to eight years ago. Um, and they, they were pretty ambitious. What they did was they created the game and then also launched a companion TV show at the same time. Um, and that TV show was called Defiance. Um, And the idea was um, some aliens who had been um, kind of on the search for a new home end up crash landing on Earth. But before they crash, they end up in a huge space battle with another race. So you end up with like all these different races on um, um, crash landing to Earth and occasionally pieces of technology still in orbit. Fall to Earth, and every it's like a gold rush. Everybody races to go, you know, get the fallen technology and 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 kind of use it. Um, when when John was first, uh, you know, saying that he wanted to develop this product, um, it really struck me like that. Except, instead of. Uh, defiance that takes place where technology is coming back, and there's and you know they they still have the ability to form communities that have like you know toiletries and uh, you know basic basic plumbing and, and water and and stuff like that. Um, John's version was much more dark. Um, people got their asses handed to them and got spanked hard, and as a result, you have that Wild West vibe, but yet. Things are, are, are not the way, you know, you, you're not just going to get Clint Eastwood riding up and throwing his serapi over his shoulder and going, you feeling lucky? You insulted my burrow. You know, I mean, it's, it's not going to be exactly like that because Clint might have the ability to crush your little head with his mind. You know, there are strange things that have occurred since, you know, the smackdown. And because of that... Um, there are unknown things that are out there and can can really mess up your day. And if you're not if you're not you know smart about it, you're gonna have you're gonna have a bad run.
1: So this is almost like a uh, almost like an alternate history, oh, but but we've been thrown back into that time just due to circumstance.
2: Yeah, I think it, because because the concept was that obviously you had this alien race that turned up to, for for eradication purposes. And they did. I mean, literally, I'm not being funny, but it's kind of like that, you know, I think it's, um, uh, I can't think if it was uh, Stephen Hawking who turned around and said something on the lines of, you know, if if an alien race did decide to come here, it would be like the, you know, it would be like the Native American people meeting, you know, the, the Westerners for the first time. That's the impact it would have on our society. You know, it would be. I mean, literally, if, if we looked out of our windows tonight and saw alien vessels landing, even if they were friendly, our society and structure would change overnight, without a doubt. You know, you, you, you know, you, the, the momentous occasion of, of, of what that would mean to the human race, from a religious point of view to a technological and a social point of view, would be absolutely a huge impact. And that's if it was going well. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's if they
3: liked the root Precisely, beer.
2: Precisely, <laughs> yeah. So, if this race turned up, that were like, hey, "We're here. We don't. We don't want to talk to you. We're not interested. We're not, we 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 view you as ants to just get rid of," and they have got the capability of doing that completely. And you've been utterly powerless. Now you fire your nukes off, and they just don't dent them. You know your troops have not got a chance. You know you, you know they, they sit in orbit and bombard the planets, there's nothing left of any kind of military installations before you even get to talk to these creatures. You know, it would just you know it would just devastate society. And and the the, the premise of the book is that. Ninety percent of it was done. The population has dropped to probably about five percent of what it was, and only wow. the pop- only the people who were able to run to the hills and and hide out by going back to the old ways of survival and looking <coughs> after each other in more primitive means have been able to. Survive. That was a go ahead. Fortunately, fortunately um, for it, it, well, fortunate and ill-fortunate is another alien race turns up. And it transpires that the original alien race who were called the butchers by mankind, because of no communication, no one knows. And that's the thing about the book. No one knows what they, who they were. No one knows what they were called. No one, there was no communication. They just became known as the butchers for what they did. Another race turns up who are another enemy of the butchers. And these two races have spent their entire lifespan around the universe fighting each other. So this race turns up and has a war in the solar system with the butchers, which is just as devastating because anyone that's left suddenly finds themselves watching this solar system spanning destructive war where, you know, all you can do is just keep your head down and hope that a bloody ship doesn't land on, you know, the wreckage of something, doesn't, doesn't obliterate your neighbourhood, you know? And at the end of that, because this other race were dimensional travelling beings you know dimensional portals have opened you know when one of their ships crashed it might have caused a sort of rip in the dimensional space so the land now that people find themselves in the aliens have gone they've disappeared they went suddenly their war ended and then they left and it's now about 20 years after the aliens have gone so humans are now resurfacing discovering what's left of the world trying to make a society and discover that things have changed both in an environmental point of view, these strange breach zones. There's aliens that have been left, slave races and parasites that were that originally came down with the original aliens have been left and abandoned on Earth. So it's quite a it's 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 kind of like imagine the film The Revenant. So imagine the Revenant being set with that level of technology, but you're traveling through the wilderness hunting alien relics and disturbing strange creatures that have been left behind. You know, that, that's the kind of premise for it.
0: Okay. So the, um, that, that what happens to society is part of what made that universe fun. So, you know, full disclosure, I mentioned in the beginning, but the anthology he's uh, hosting, once this game goes fully live, uh, I wrote a short story for it, and I actually got to play with that. I, I made uh, Pistol Pete, the mascot for the University of Wyoming, uh, inadvertently become the god. Because they don't know any better, because society was crushed, and they just see the the statues or whatever, and they think it must mean, you know, something. So that's that's what made that setting kind of fun. It's there's so much room to to do your own thing. I think that's that seems to be what makes RPGs more playable if it's less rigid.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and and. And like I say, I mean, it probably stems back to what we discussed early on about what we like about role-playing games. And I do like the crunch, and I like to have a book that's got a lot of details in it. So so fortunately, we've been able to – we've got a writer called Sean Noah. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through
0: that uh, archived episode that was in the uh, in the digital memory hole that we found. We thought you'd enjoy it. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the archive for the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back at our regular scheduled time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.